0: everyone this is chris grasso with the indie spirituals podcast on the be here now network and i'm really excited to have my friend and um someone i've interviewed a, a few times now gary renard um on the show who's this? Is still his first debut on the be here now network with my show at least so gary thanks for taking the time to join me today
1: hey it's great to be talking to you again
0: Thanks so much. So I'm going to uh, read your bio quickly as I do with each show for our listeners. And then now we're going to jump into all things... Gary and your new book, Jesus and Buddha, uh, or The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other, a fantastic read. Um, but let's talk about the bio quickly. Gary R. Renard is the best selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, Love Has Forgotten No One, and the newly released The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other. He was born on the historic North Shore of Massachusetts. During the Harmonic Convergence of 1987, he heard a calling and began to take his life in a spiritual direction. At the beginning of the 1990s, he moved to Maine, where he underwent a powerful spiritual awakening. As instructed, he slowly and carefully wrote Disappearance over a period of nine years. His books are now in 22 languages and growing, combining a disarming sense of humor with radical, cutting-edge metaphysical information. And experiential exercises, this acclaimed teacher of a course in miracles has been described as one of the most interesting and courageous spiritual speakers in the world. Um, I second that thoroughly, and Gary, thank you so much again for being with me on the show today.
1: Oh, well, thanks I'm looking forward to it
0: yeah, so like i said we've you know I've had the good fortune of uh, interviewing you a few times as well as your incredible wife Cindy. um I am a huge fan of your books and um it's it's really this the this latest one um the lifetimes when Jesus and Buddha knew each other is uh exactly what I'd been hoping for when I'd heard about it and uh but before we get to that just in case there's a few listeners that aren't familiar if you could give like a really brief 101 crash course into a course in miracles as well as your trilogy prior to this that we mentioned in the bio, just so readers know a little bit about that, because we're going to be talking about Artin and Persa, and I want to give them a little quick background, if you don't mind.
1: Well, sure. I want to emphasize that uh, I was not on a spiritual path until I was about 30. Okay. And uh, I don't think that I would have survived if I didn't get on a spiritual path, because I was very depressed, yeah, uh, almost to the point where I couldn't function. And uh, fortunately, I had one friend left, and his name was Dan, and he took me to do this thing called the EST training. And uh, what EST did was it gave me my first thought system. Mm. And I can't overestimate uh, how important it is to have a thought system because the mind has to be uh, trained. You know, as the Course in Miracles would put it, an untrained mind can accomplish nothing. Mm. And uh, that's a pretty provocative statement because most people don't really have a, a discipline. They don't really have a way to control their thoughts and if you don't train the mind, it will run wild like an animal. So you really do have to train it. And I didn't realize that the reason that I was so depressed was because of the thoughts that I had been having my whole life.
2: Yeah.
1: And what S did by giving me my first thought system was it gave me a way to interpret everything that I saw consistently and uh, in a positive way. And I would say that within two years or so, it snapped me out of my depression, and I started to live what passes for a good life Mm. in this world. And uh, I was a professional musician, and I had a period of about 10 years after that where I worked a great deal and uh, had a good time and got married. I was in the Boston area, and we, my band called Hush uh, played the Northeast a great deal for like uh, 10 years. but. I realized uh, after a while that that wasn't making me happy. So I had been in a position in life uh, in my 20s where I I did basically nothing, and that didn't make me happy. And then when I was in my 30s, I did pretty much everything, and that didn't make me happy. And so uh, I realized that even though I was on a spiritual path, there was still something missing, and I didn't really know what it was, but I decided... That I was going to leave the Boston area and move up to Maine, which was a very quiet, very peaceful place. Even though it's not that far from uh, Boston, it's like a different world if you get up into northern Maine. Yeah. And uh, what I did was uh, I started meditating, and uh, I continued to study all these different uh, spiritual things. But I had never heard of uh, a Course in Miracles, even though. Uh, you know, a lot of people do it. It's really not that well known
2: yeah.
1: uh, compared to other things. And uh, I had been up in Maine for about three years and I didn't like Maine and the people there didn't like me because <laughs> I was like, you know, the city boy. Sure. And I, I didn't know how to fix a ride on lawnmower. So I was basically useless to them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and my in laws were always uh, kind of like thinking I was weird and because uh, I was, you know, just different. I, I didn't really fit in there. Sure. And uh, I was fed up cuz I didn't like uh, the cold either. You know, I'm a warm weather person. Yeah. And uh I decided that I was going to get out of Maine, go back to Massachusetts even if I had to leave my wife. I was going to, you know, get out of there and, and start playing my guitar again cuz I knew that I was good at that. Yeah. And I had confidence uh that I could, you know, make a living in doing that. So, I took my guitar, you know, my old uh, Les Paul custom, out of the closet, and I started practicing. And uh, both my hands were occupied, and I was singing and playing my guitar. And all of a sudden, I felt another hand, and I couldn't see it. But this hand started to push down on the neck of the guitar, and it started to push it down toward the ground and me along with it until I was all the way down to the ground. And uh, I'm the kind of a guy who looks for signs. Yeah. Well, that was a sign. <laughs> yeah. And the sign was telling me something, and what it was telling me was no, uh, that's not what you're supposed to do. Uh, you've been there, you've done that. You know, you could do that forever, but that's not what you're supposed to do now. And uh, I didn't know what it was, but I could tell that it wasn't that. And in a way, I was kind of hoping that maybe you would be connected to this uh, friendship. And this affinity that I felt for Jesus, because even though uh, I've never been a religious person and I never went to church much, uh, I did feel a friendship with Jesus ever since I was a child. I I always used to talk to him uh, in my mind, Mm. and I felt like he would help me and he would counsel me and give me advice. And uh, even though I couldn't get into the religion because something about it just didn't strike me as being right— Uh, I always felt like he was my friend. And I was hoping that what I was going to do would somehow be connected to him, that uh, maybe I could work for him or work with him in some way. Mm. And I was kind of hoping for that. Now, uh, this incident that I just described took place uh, in late October of 92. And about uh, two months later, I remember the day, it was December 21st, because that's the feast day for St. Thomas, right. uh, which is coming up here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember that day, because I was uh, meditating, and I I would meditate for like an hour and a half back in those days. And I felt like I got pretty good at it. I felt like I could get to the point where I could achieve absolute stillness, you know, where there would be no interfering thoughts uh, in the mind. And it was uh, you know, just really quiet and peaceful and happy. And I opened my eyes and there were two people sitting there on my living room couch. Now, uh, I know it sounds a little out there, but it was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I thought, uh, you know, because it was so surreal, I thought, okay, I've been meditating too much.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, And maybe this is a vision. I mean, they certainly looked like real people, but maybe it was a vision. But uh, that's how I felt the first time anyway. And uh, there were these two actually very good looking people were sitting there. And this was this beautiful woman. And, uh, you know, this handsome guy, he's tall, dark, handsome. I hate him. (laughs) uh, It it was like, uh, you know, this beautiful woman starts talking to me. And I didn't have anything to lose. You know, like I was going nowhere. And uh, what they were Uh, saying sounded pretty interesting to me and people will ask me after the fact you know uh, weren't you scared why did not you go running out of the room screaming because these you know these people apparently you know appeared from out of nowhere and the answer is they just look so peaceful Mm. you know uh, the look on their faces was very peaceful They had that uh, gentle smile that Of Course Miracles describes as uh, being a characteristic of a teacher of God, which I didn't know at the time, but I learned later. And uh, they had a pretty short visit the first time, but they said they'd be back in a week. I didn't know if I actually believed them, but sure enough, uh, you know, they disappeared. And by the way, I didn't see them appear the first time, but I did see them disappear. And it was instantaneous. Uh, It was kind of like flicking the remote on a TV screen. It just happened instantaneous. They didn't make uh, any big deal out of it or any ceremonies or glowing colors or all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, they just uh, disappeared instantly. But sure enough, uh, a week later, they appeared and they appeared instantly. And I was a little bit startled, but not much uh, because I had known, even though we'd only talked briefly before, uh, I wasn't afraid of them and uh, besides, I had very positive dreams in the week after I saw them, and uh, I was already having visions of my time with Jesus 2,000 years ago, and uh, I have this kind of, like, place that I call the in-between zone, where when I'm dozing off to sleep, but I'm kind of, like, half awake and half asleep, I see these visions, and uh, sometimes it's like, or watching a movie, even with sound, yeah. and I can see other places and other times that I've been, and even uh, you know, kind of like connect intuitively with who that person that I'm seeing is in this lifetime, mm-hmm. if I know in this lifetime. So, you know, I would have experiences like that, and the experiences that week for me were very positive ones, and it made me uh, feel more confident. About talking to these uh, who appeared to be people, and uh, I found out what they really were later. But uh, the thing is, the second visit was pretty long, and they gave me a lot of information in that second visit. And they told me the woman told me that two thousand years ago she was Saint Thomas. Uh, you know, they weren't called saints at the time, but right. uh, today we call her Saint Thomas. And the guy said that he was Saint Thaddeus uh, two thousand years ago. And, of course, they were friends of Jesus, and they told me a lot about Jesus. And uh, it, it was really interesting to me. And they also told me at the end of that visit that I was going to start studying this thing called A Course in Miracles. And my attitude was, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. You know? <laughs> and sure enough, there I was three days later at this place in Auburn, Maine, called Holistic Books and Treasures. And I'm, I'm in there. And uh, I'm looking around, and there's one copy of The Course in Miracles. And the person who was working there said to me, yeah, I just came in this morning. Uh, we haven't had a copy of that in months. Yeah. And obviously, that copy was meant to be there for me that morning uh, to pick up and start to read. And I picked it up, and I started to read it. And it was like, what the hell is this? I mean, it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Right. You know, because the course is not a uh, linear presentation. It's yes. a holographic Uh, Presentation and it starts right off with this most advanced uh, principles. It gives you like these 50 miracles principles, and these are very advanced ideas. These are not beginner ideas. In fact, the first one says, There is no order of difficulty in miracles, Uh, one is not harder or bigger than another. They're all the same. I don't know how anybody could pick that up and read that and have any idea what that means. But what happens is, hopefully, and unfortunately, this doesn't happen for most people, but What hopefully would happen is that through repetition, uh, you start to pick it up. Now, I don't know if I ever would have picked it up if it wasn't for art and in-person, and I have to credit them because they are the teachers uh, in my books, and I am the student. But I have been fortunate enough to learn uh, a great deal from them. And what they did over a period of nine years was they explained uh, A Course in Miracles to me and not only explained it to me, But encouraged me and gave me a way to integrate it into my everyday life, uh, into the relationships that I had there in Maine, most of which weren't really great relationships. And uh, also the situations that I found myself in, the events that I would see on television. What they taught me was how to apply the course, which is a certain kind of forgiveness. But it's not the kind of forgiveness that the world thinks about. And we'll get into that more as we go along but they appeared to me uh 17 times over a period of nine years and uh i wrote the book as we went along because they told me i was going to write a book and you know believe me i was not a writer at all i told them a book i have a hard time writing a check you know (laughs) it's like uh you know I, i really didn't see myself i mean you know as a musician my dream uh would not have been to write a book my dream would have been to write a hit song Sure. Yeah, I would write a song, and it would sell ten million copies, and I would move to Hawaii and drink beer.
2: Right. know,
1: that would be my uh, lifelong goal. (laughs) (laughs) There. But their attitude was, well, no, you know, anybody can do that, but you got to do something that's kind of like connected to this relationship that you feel with Jesus. Uh, Would you like to do that? And and my attitude was, okay, now I get it. Uh, If it's connected to my relationship with Jesus, then I would love to do it. So even though I didn't know how. Uh, I learned the best I could as I went along, and uh it wasn't you know that hard for part of it because. Uh, Part of it is the conversations that we had, and those were basically handed to me on a silver platter, so that wasn't the hard part. Uh, The hard part for me was capturing my experience because, uh, you know, I have a lot of narration that I say to let people know what my life was like and how things were going in my life. I insert notes uh, to explain why we said certain things, and that was the hard part for me, and it still is, (laughs) even after all. Uh I'm not a writer, but people tell me that it's a good read. Yep. And uh, that's really all it's important, I guess. And uh, the thing is they were very patient with me and they had to be because uh A Course in Miracles is a lifelong spiritual path. Right. You know, a lot of uh you know, spiritual students they want to do a weekend workshop and that's it. Right. You know, they they think that they got it. I've talked to people over the years because I've, you know, appeared all over the world for the last uh, 16, 17 years. And uh, by the way, I didn't want to do that at first. Uh, I I refused to speak in public the first six months that my first book was out. But my publisher said, "Uh, you know, Gary, uh, people have questions about your book. And if you don't get out there and answer those questions, then they're going to make up their own answers. Right. And those answers are going to be uh, false and based on fiction and hearsay and rumor. And, you know, do you want uh, the narrative about your book to be about true things or just made up things? And, and that kind of like got my attention. So I decided I would go out there and speak once, you know, just to answer questions about the book and then probably never speak again. And I went to this workshop and I did the workshop and I was scared to death. And fortunately, uh, I have a good memory. And when I got out there and I saw all these eyeballs staring at me, I remembered uh, something to say from The Course in Miracles. And this is something that appears very early in the text of The Course in Miracles. It was originally given for the co-scribe of the Course, whose name was Bill Thetford, because uh, he had to speak in front of this group of psychologists. And he didn't like that, he was very shy. Even though he had a great speaking voice, for some reason he was just extremely shy. And uh, Jesus gave him these words to say so that he could be connected to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I remember these words. uh, You know, this is on like page 28 of the text very early. And uh, I just said these words. I said, I am here only to be truly helpful. I am here to represent him who sent me. I do not have to worry about what to say or what to do because he who sent me will direct me. I am content to be wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. I will be healed as I let him teach me to heal. And I said those words and I felt different. You know, uh, the nervousness kind of like went away and I felt uh, connected to the Holy Spirit. Mm. And as the day went on, I felt like something was being expressed through me. I could feel the presence of Arden in person. And by the way, when it comes to Arden in person, to make a long story short, uh, I eventually learned because, you know, they eventually told me that what they really are is the Holy Spirit appearing as Arden in person. Right. So if you read A Course in Miracles about the Holy Spirit, it says uh, his is the voice for God, not the voice of God. His is the voice for God. And has therefore taken form. This form is not his reality. So, the way it works is the Holy Spirit uh, literally has to take on some kind of a form, or else we'd never be able to hear it. Uh, because, you know, we're uh, apparently trapped in this dream world, and all the information that is being given to us is being handed to us by the ego, uh, which you could think of as uh, the idea of separation, the false you, the idea. That somehow you have separated yourself from your source, which of course is God, and you have taken on this individual identity, this personal existence that is somehow separate from your creator and separate from everybody and everything else. And the hero of that dream is the body, and all the information, almost all the information that you're getting is coming to you through the body's senses. And that's why uh, the body is so important to the ego, because it's the way that it keeps pulling the wool over your eyes. Because what the body is showing you is not uh, a real awareness. It actually represents a limit on awareness, Mm. uh, according to the Course. So the Holy Spirit has to take on some kind of a form in order to communicate with us. Now, usually, uh, for most of us, most of the time, uh, that form is going to come to us in the form of ideas. Because ideas also have a shape to them; they have form, and uh, that's how the Holy Spirit communicates with us most of the time. But once in a while, the Holy Spirit will take on a more specific form. Uh, it could show up as, oh, say, uh, an angel, or the Virgin Mary, if you're a religious type person, or uh, you know, a saint. Uh, a lot of saints tend to appear in, in South America. Uh, you know, I go to South America. And I say that these two saints appeared to me, and to them it's like, yeah, sure, you know, it happens all the time.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Uh, but in America, <laughs> I say the same thing, and people look at me like, oh, well, you know, what's the matter with this guy? You know? <laughs> so, so it it really is a cultural uh, thing. In India, you know, there have been appearances forever. Right. Uh, and it's not, you know, unheard of in North America either. I mean, in uh, Lake Shasta, uh, St. Germain has been appearing there to people ever since the 1920s, as far as I can uh, see. I didn't know that when Arnold person first appeared to me. I learned all these things as the years uh, went on. Right. But they were explaining that what they really are is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can uh, take on a form. And there are quotations in A Course in Miracles that allude to this. Uh, for example, it says there are those who have reached God directly. Uh, retaining no trace of worldly limits, and remembering their own identity perfectly. These might be called the teachers of teachers, because although they are no longer visible, their image can yet be called upon, and they will appear uh, when and where it is helpful for them to do so. Yeah. You know, so even A Course in Miracles is saying uh, right there, that even though these people have ascended and they're back home with God and they are no longer visible, Their image can yet be called upon, and the Holy Spirit will use their image to communicate with you if that's the best way for the Holy Spirit to communicate with you. And that may work for some people, not for others. The Holy Spirit knows what's best for everybody. And in this case, the Holy Spirit decided to use the images of Arden and Persa, who used to be Thomas and Thaddeus, and communicate with me. Mm. So we did three books uh, over a period of many years, and uh, I want to get to the the fourth book, so I'm making this much <laughs> short. But it's like, uh, we did a trilogy. You know, we did yeah. uh, Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, and Love Has Forgotten No One. And this took place over a period of many years. And, uh, you know, I, I thought maybe that was it. You know, I thought that maybe the third book was the final one because it was a trilogy yeah. and it seemed to work as a trilogy. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm off the hook here. You know, maybe I can <laughs> just go around the world, you know, speaking and, you know, meeting people and enjoying traveling and uh, communicating a course of miracles with people. And by the way, once I started studying the course, I realized that that was the only thing that I wanted to do, you yeah. know, for the rest of my life and nobody knew who I was. And I was this uh, completely unknown uh, person out in the sticks in Maine and uh, I didn't know that I didn't have a sucker's chance in hell of getting that book published. And uh, I probably wouldn't have been able to, except Art and First had told me what to do with the book. And they told me, uh, "Look, there's this guy on the West Coast, uh, very small. Uh, his name is D. Patrick Miller. Has a tiny publishing company called Fearless Books. And I like the sound of that, you know, Fearless Books, because mm. the course the is a lot about being fearless. And uh, they said uh, he's going to publish the book, but don't tell him." Because if you tell him that he's going to publish the book, then he won't. So it's got to be his idea. (laughs) And uh, I sent it to him. And uh, he said, okay, uh, I don't know. This is too long, 150,000 words. You know, your average book is around 80,000 words. Maybe you should make two books out of this. And I explained, no, I can't do that. It has to remain uh, intact. And he said, well, you know, three-way conversation you know, publishers don't like that. And this is really out there. It's extremely radical, but I love it. And uh, so I'll tell you what, I'll publish it. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> and uh, so he did publish it, and we had no money to promote it. And so basically what he did was he threw me to the wolves on the Internet. Yes. Into these uh, chat rooms we have these trolls who just oh, live okay. to attack people and put people down yes. and which you still have today on the internet and uh, you know and they they just hated me and uh, the funny thing was that even though they were saying all these terrible things about me, I've you know, i been learning forgiveness for quite a while by then, and I did forgive them, and people could see that I was actually saying the same thing that I was talking about, that I was actually living what I was talking about.
2: Right.
1: And the whole thing created uh, controversy, which I'm not into, but controversy equals publicity. And so these people, without really intending to help me, Actually ended up helping me because they uh, got people thinking about the book and talking about the book. And then people actually started reading it because these people who were attacking me had not read the book at all. But then people started to read it. And once they started to read it, they liked it. And they started sharing it with people. It was a total uh, word of mouth. Right. right. And yes, I did some interviews, you know, uh, with people like you. And uh, it really helped. And it was like the word started to get around and the book took off. And after a year or so, uh, I got the attention of Hay House, a bigger publisher than Fearless Books. And uh, Hay House wanted to take over. It was kind of like a no-brainer for them uh, by then because Patrick and I had the book in every Barnes & Noble bookstore in America by then. And so uh, Hay House took over, which I am deeply grateful for because they uh, allowed me to establish an international audience. And uh, today, uh, now we're up to 24 languages with the book. And I've spoken in 31 countries. And, uh, you know, if I wanted to just do that for the rest of my life, I could. And I I do feel guided to continue to do that, but maybe not as much because I have a a couple of other projects that I'm working on here that are kind of like top secret, but uh, they may be coming more into play in the future. Uh, There's a reason why I'm living here in Hollywood now. And, uh, you know, who knows what's uh, just around the corner. Uh, My life has taken a lot of surprising turns, and it wouldn't uh, surprise me anymore, no matter what (laughs) happened. But after the third book, I thought, maybe that's it. You know, maybe it was a trilogy, and maybe that's it. And uh, the thing is, I can talk down to Arden Persa in my mind as well as see them. And uh, talking to them, it's like channeling, and uh, it's as if they were here. Right. And every now and then, uh, because I was always taken by their appearances, I would forget to ask them something that I wanted to ask them. You know, so uh, after the third book was over, I thought, you know, I always wanted to ask them, how did Jesus really get to be Jesus? Right. You know, how did Buddha get to be Buddha? Um, who were they? What were they like in the uh, incarnations just before they were Jesus and before they were Buddha? Because I never, you know, bought the whole virgin birth story about Jesus. Right. The uh, Course of Miracles uh, says that he was a man, and that he had lessons to learn, and that he learned them, and eventually, uh, you know, the way the Course puts it is he was a man who saw the face of Christ in all his brothers and remembered God. And that's about as close as a formula to enlightenment as you're going to get. He saw the face of Christ in all his brothers. Mm-hmm. and But remember the word all. You can't make an exception to that because the Holy Spirit thinks in terms of perfect oneness. Uh, the ego thinks in terms of separation. But the Holy Spirit thinks in terms of oneness. And that's how Jesus thought uh, Two thousand years ago, which we'll get to when we start to wrap this up, because uh, I want to talk a little bit about the fourth book. But you know, I asked Art and Persa that question. You know, how did Jesus really get to be Jesus? How did Buddha get to be Buddha? And the answer to that question turned out to be a lot more than I bargained for. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, it turned out to be a whole book. Yeah. Uh, the book was uh, The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other. The subtitle was A History of Mighty Companions. And A uh, Course in Miracles uses that phrase, Mighty Companions, uh, in the uh, teacher's manual. And it's like they gave me this whole, uh, you know, kind of like visual of six different lifetimes when Jesus and Buddha actually were sharing the same incarnations with each other.
2: Right.
1: Uh, they were friends uh they were even lovers at some point they were co-students they were uh you know close uh kind of like uh twin flames if you will sure. and uh that doesn't always have to be a male and a female right and it's like they were uh, people who were very advanced right from the beginning uh the book begins oh about uh well 1300 bc back in ancient japan when they were uh you know, very, uh, adept at nature. You know, they were Shintos, right. and, uh, kind of similar to being uh, a shaman or into shamanism here. Uh, very similar, similarities there. And it's like, uh, they, you know, got to the point where they could communicate with the animals and be very close uh, to nature, very intuitive, very psychic. And, uh, that was the first, Incarnation where they were very close, both as friends and uh, as spiritual uh, equals. Mm. And the reason that they were more advanced than most people, I would learn as I went along, was that they didn't buy into the dream the way that most people did. They never really believed in this world.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, Most people fall for the world, you know, hook, line, and sinker, and they didn't. Uh, They were very skeptical of this world. They were very skeptical of uh, any kind of a god that could make this world because they could see the cruelty and, uh, you know, what A Course in Miracles would later call the dream of death that uh, permeates this world because this is a world of duality. And you have, uh, yeah, you're going to have some good, but you're also going to have an equal amount of bad. And uh, even today in Christianity, uh, there's a basic problem among theologians. Uh, They call it theodicy. And the problem is that a lot of, uh, you know, theologians in Christianity are questioning uh, what kind of a God is this God of Christianity? Is this God even good? Because if you look in the Old Testament, we're given a God that, you know, maybe they say he's perfect love on one page, but on the next page, he's a killer. And uh, can there really be a God like that? Can we have a God like this? And uh, I humbly believe that A Course in Miracles has the answer to that problem. And the answer is, well, that's not the real God. The real God actually is perfect love. And A Course in Miracles goes on to give us a God that actually is perfect love, which gives us a perfect home to go home to. And uh, you know, as the fourth book went on, they covered... Uh, These six different incarnations where Jesus and Buddha knew each other, they kept advancing because they themselves were so advanced, they got to study with some great spiritual teachers uh, in lifetimes, including Lao Tzu and uh, people like Plato. And uh, as they went along, you can see them developing toward uh, this place where in their mind there was no duality, that you had to make a choice. Now, in Buddhism, there's a very similar idea. Actually, there's a lot of similar ideas between Buddhism and A Course in Miracles. But in Buddhism, there's this idea that behind the veil of illusion, uh, what the Buddhists would call impermanence, there is a constant reality. And that idea is key that there is a constancy to reality. And there are Hindus. Not all of them, but there are Hindus who believe the same thing if you look at the Vedanta and things like that. There is a reality that does not change. Uh, The way, of course, puts it is that whatever is true is eternal and cannot change or be changed. So you have this constant reality, but that is being obscured. It's, It's being kind of like covered over by this veil of illusion And what A Course in Miracles uh, brilliantly refines into the idea that this is a dream that you will awaken from. And it is that awakening that is enlightenment. Uh, When Buddha said, I'm awake, you know, most of these uh, spiritual students nowadays, they think that when Buddha said, I'm awake, he meant that he felt amazingly alert and ready to manifest like hell. And uh, No, that's not really what he was talking about. Uh, He wasn't talking about being more awake in the dream. He said that he had awakened from the dream, and that's not just a minor distinction. You, know, you can be more alert and uh, you know, able to manifest and do all this stuff in the dream, but true enlightenment is about awakening from the dream and realizing that the world is not being done to you. The world is being done by you. Uh, if the world is being done to you, you're a victim. And there's no power in being a victim. And if this world were done by God, then you would be a victim of God. But uh, fortunately, God doesn't have anything to do with this world. Why? Because God is still perfect love. And perfect love doesn't do differences. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do differences. Uh, the Holy Spirit thinks in terms of perfect oneness, and God actually is perfect oneness, which is why of Course in Miracles describes heaven as the awareness perfect oneness in the knowledge that there is nothing else you know nothing else outside this oneness nothing else within so we're talking about a state of perfect oneness that people are not aware of which is why the course talks about removing the blocks which would be like undoing the ego the course says that salvation is undoing so to put it briefly uh since you know we're talking briefly about the course it's like you have two identities You have the false you, the ego, which is based on separation. And then you have the real you, which is spirit, but not the way that most people think of spirit. Most people still think of spirit as an individual thing, so they have an individual soul. And that's not what the Course is talking about. When the Course talks about spirit, it's talking about that awareness of perfect oneness and actually experiencing it. So the Course talks about removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence. And when I say love's presence, uh, this is where we need to realize that A Course in Miracles is a very big teaching. You know, it's not the little teaching that so many of his teachers uh, seem to talk about. This right. is a very big teaching. And when, when it talks about the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance, your natural inheritance and the kind of love that it's talking about is nothing less than the kingdom of heaven. So uh, the kingdom of heaven is your natural inheritance because God gave it to you. Uh, it was given to you as a gift. And if it's a gift, then you don't have to earn it. You know, if somebody gives you a Christmas present, uh, you don't have to earn it. You know, it's something that was given to you, which means that you don't have to atone uh, in any uh, physical way. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to do anything. All that you have to do is awaken to it. And the way that you awaken to it is by undoing the false you, undoing the ego. Now, that's a brilliant approach because if you could complete that job, if you could completely undo your ego, which is the false you, then the real you would be all that's left. Right. And you don't have to do anything about the real you. Uh, the real you is already perfect. Uh, The real you is already spirit, this perfect oneness. It's already exactly the same as your creator. And if you can completely undo the ego, then you will start to experience the real you. And that happens gradually as you go along. Uh, Maybe your body will become lighter. Uh, Maybe it'll start to feel more like the figure in a dream that it really is instead of this thing you have to carry around. Uh, Maybe it'll be more elastic. Maybe it'll be more difficult to hurt it. Uh, maybe you'll get in an accident, and you'll get hurt, but it doesn't hurt. Mm. And you'll think, well, that's strange. Uh, that should hurt, but it doesn't. Mm. And this is something that happens gradually. It's, it's kind of like you're going through a metamorphosis, uh, like a uh, you know caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Uh, the caterpillar has to be prepared to become a butterfly. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it has to be prepared for that higher life form. And spirit is a higher life form than being human. It's not the same as being human. Uh, It's a higher life form that has no form because it has no borders or limits. So this is something, uh, a reality that we have to be prepared for. And that's what happens as you completely undo the ego. And then when that job is done at the end of your uh, final lifetime, when you have a lifetime, when you've completed your forgiveness uh, work perfectly. And I'm not talking about uh, behavior. I'm not talking about doing everything right. Uh, The idea of living a perfect life where you do everything right is self defeating and unnecessary Mm -hmm. because this is a course in mind training. This is not a course in body training or world training. Uh, This is a course in mind training. Uh, The way the Course puts it is this is a course in cause and not effect. Mind is cause always. Uh, The body is nothing but a part of a meaningless uh, projection. And it's not something that we should be taking personally because. Uh, it's no more important you know, than this computer that we're talking to. It, it has no more reality than that. It's just a part of the same projection as everything else, uh, the way Jesus puts it. And I don't know if I mentioned that Jesus is the voice in A Course in Miracles. If, <laughs> if I didn't, uh, well, Jesus is the voice of A Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. I, I forget. I'd break it to people gently. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, you know, he says uh, the body is outside of us and not our concern. Right. And what he means is is that, look, it's just a part of the same projection as all this other stuff that you're looking at. Uh, none of it's real, which means that it's all equally untrue. And that's why there is no order of difficulty in miracles, because you can't make a distinction between this little thing over here that needs to be forgiven and this big thing over here that needs to be forgiven, because neither one is true. And if neither one is true, then they must be equally forgivable. And that would even include the destruction of your own body, which is is as far as Jesus went with the crucifixion. Uh, He is not asking us to do that. In fact, he says in the course uh, that you are not asked to be crucified. Uh, I felt a certain tinge of relief when I read that. (laughs) And it's like, uh, yeah, okay. So that was a lesson that he taught, that uh, the body was meaningless and that what he really was could not be hurt, that what he really was uh, could not be killed. Now, he did have a certain advantage. In the crucifixion because uh, his ego had been completely undone and his mind had been completely healed by the Holy Spirit Uh, He says in the course eventually I just listened to one voice which means that he only listened to the Holy Spirit and nobody else and uh, Because his ego had been completely undone that meant that he had no unconscious guilt uh, left in his mind his mind had been completely healed and uh, the course teaches that all Pain is a function of guilt, and uh, the guiltless mind cannot suffer, according to the Course. I'm not going to get into the subject of guilt, but this is a guilt that can be traced all the way back to the original idea that we separated ourselves uh, from God and the tremendous unconscious guilt that that engendered on this massive metaphysical level that resulted in the making of the universe of time and space. But, uh, yeah, just thought I'd throw it out there. Anyway, uh, that unconscious guilt is the cause of pain. And because Jesus had no unconscious guilt in his mind, he literally could not feel any physical pain at the end of his life, which is why, uh, he was teaching that what he really was could not be affected by this act of madness. In fact, part of the essence of uh, the kind of forgiveness that Jesus practiced 2,000 years ago and that he teaches in the Course in Miracles is that you don't make the error real. Uh, you don't make what you're forgiving real, uh, just the opposite. The Course teaches that instead of giving truth to our illusions, uh, we need to give our illusions to the truth. We need to not make it real. And uh, when you think about it, if you're upset or if you're annoyed about something – you literally would have to be making it real because if you weren't making it real, then you wouldn't be upset. You know, so that's part of the essence of forgiveness. So, uh, you know, to give a very brief example so that people know what I'm talking about, let's say that, uh, I'm here in LA and I'm out driving on the highway and uh, somebody cuts me off in traffic right there, right in that instant, I have a choice. And uh, because, you know, I've been practicing the course for so long, my mind has been trained to make a, a choice with the Holy Spirit instead of the ego. But let's say that I forget myself for a minute. Let's say that uh, I'm having a bad day and somebody cuts me off in traffic. Now, right there, I have a choice. I could react like some people would react. And I could uh, yell at the guy and I could give him the finger. And, uh, you know, I, I could react with the ego. And uh, what if he has a gun? Right. Well, I could be dead. Now, that's one outcome. (laughs) There's another possible outcome. Uh, What if I remember myself? What if I remember the Holy Spirit and I don't react and I don't give him the finger and uh, I just go along my merry way? Well, not only am I still alive, which is a very practical outcome, but at the same time, I'm peaceful. And uh, peace fosters peace and love fosters love. And you become more peaceful and more loving in the act of being peaceful and loving, and the ego is more undone, and the Holy Spirit is more taking over your mind in a very uh, nice, very voluntary uh, kind of way, and then I can kind of like stick with the Holy Spirit. You know, that instant where you kind of like don't choose the ego and switch to the Holy Spirit instead, that instant where you choose the right teacher, Of uh, Course in Miracles calls that the holy instant, mm-hmm. and that's when you make the right choice now you're listening to the right teacher and the right teacher is always giving you right-minded ideas and saying things like look uh, you must have been making it real but it's not real it's a dream and it's your dream and the dream is not being dreamed by somebody else in fact when you remember that you're dreaming that automatically puts you in a place of cause instead of effect because you realize hey i'm the one that's dreaming this i'm the one who made this up Not in a bad way, because what I really made was nothing, because this is just an illusion. It's not something that I have to feel guilty about if it's not true. So then you can realize what A Course in Miracles calls the atonement, which uh, is a word that means uh, correction. But it says that the uh, full awareness of the atonement is that the separation never occurred. In other words, the separation from God never happened, which means that you're still there. You are still there in Heaven. The course says you are at home in God dreaming of exile, but perfectly capable of awakening to reality. So we never left Heaven, and Heaven hasn't gone anywhere. The truth hasn't gone anywhere. It's a constant, and it is right here. And Heaven is right here right now. And God is right here right now. and the truth hasn't gone anywhere. All that we need to do is awaken to it. And it reminds me, uh you know very much of something that jesus said two thousand years ago and you can see this in uh, the gospel of thomas uh you know part of which is authentic we have a copy of the gospel of thomas there was one remaining because the church destroyed all of them right one that was dug up in nagamati has about 70 of the authentic sayings of jesus and uh You know, Persa, who was St. Thomas, gave me the real version in the second book, and she said that 70 of them were uh, actually pretty good, and that about 44 of them were what she called spurious or or made up. Back in those days, uh, you know, scribes would sometimes add things on to Gospels that they personally believed, which is why we have no original uh, Gospels uh, anymore. They're all gone. But uh, the Gospel of Thomas has quite a few of the authentic sayings. Uh, of Jesus. And one of them is this the disciples went up to Jesus. And we said, uh, when I say we, uh, I found out later that uh, I was also St. Thomas 2,000 years ago and that person was my future self. Right. And uh, I don't mind saying that because the book has been around now for 17 years and people have that idea already. They already yes. know that. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, we went up to Jesus and we said, when will the kingdom come? And he said, well, Uh, It will not come by watching for it. It will not be said, you know, behold here, behold there. Rather, the kingdom of the Father is spread out upon the earth, and people do not see it. And what he's saying there is that it's not that it's not here. It's not that, uh, you know, it's gone anywhere. It's just that people do not see it. And the reason that they do not see it is because it's out of their awareness. Mm. You know, it's not that it's not there, but it's out of their awareness. But if you do what the Course is talking about right in its introduction, if you remove the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance, then the experience, you know, the actual experience of your perfect oneness with God will slowly but surely dawn on your mind and you will become more aware that you are in heaven. And instead of the body being your primary experience, uh, your primary experience will shift from the idea of being a body to the experience of being what you really are and where you really are, which is nothing less than God. Now, you know, some people might think that that's a little bit arrogant uh, to say that you're exactly the same as God because that's like saying that you are God. Right. right. But uh, that's not arrogance, according to The Course in Miracles. According to The Course, what is arrogant is to think that you could be separate from God. Uh, to think that you could take on this individual identity and this personal existence that is different than your creator. Uh, that is the arrogance of the ego. And the goal of the Course, one of the goals of the Course, uh, the most immediate goal would be peace, uh, which is important because it, it may not seem like that, but uh, it's only peace of mind that will lead to world peace. You know, like uh, we've been trying to achieve world peace for thousands of years, it doesn't work because people are trying to achieve peace in the wrong place. Uh, The course teaches that what we're seeing, you know, all this madness that we're seeing on our TV screens is because what we are seeing is an outer picture of an inward condition. And as long as the inward condition is one of conflict, then you will have conflict in the world. You will have war and terrorism and madness and murder and mayhem and and all these uh, ridiculous things that we see as the images on our TV screen. But the day will come. You know, not in our lifetime, but you know, you know, maybe in a galaxy far, far away, uh, the time will come when people will have inner peace. And when the people of the human race have inner peace, then outer peace would literally have to follow. But that's the only way that it will happen. You will never have peace on earth until the people of the world have inner peace. So uh, peace is a lot more important than people may realize. And it's also a prerequisite to going home to heaven because peace is the condition of the kingdom. And if your mind was not at peace, then it wouldn't be able to fit into the kingdom. It would be like trying to put a square block uh, into a round hole. You know, it just wouldn't work. So there are many reasons why peace is important. And then as you go along, you will achieve enlightenment and that's automatic when the ego is completely undone and of course that's a very advanced state but in that state you would be capable of almost anything and, and i know that i haven't had a chance to get to all six of the uh, lifetimes that jesus and buddha shared together but they're given in detail in the book and then finally uh 2000 years ago uh jesus and buddha shared their final lifetime together and it turned out That Buddha was there and that he was with Jesus even in that lifetime and was a good friend of his, Uh, even though Buddha pretty much achieved enlightenment uh, at the time that he was Buddha, uh, even though that wasn't his name. uh, The thing is that they did have one more incarnation together in which they were both enlightened and Mary Magdalene uh, was also enlightened and uh, Thomas and Thaddeus were there. They weren't uh, all the way home yet, but they were certainly making tremendous progress because of what they learned. Uh, from Jesus and Buddha. And uh, that's a fascinating lifetime. And I love the way that art and person told the stories, because I'm not a storyteller. I'm I'm just not a writer. And they took it upon themselves to really tell the stories, uh, which makes this book a little bit different than my other books, because they're not usually into storytelling. But they really uh, covered what it was like You know, not every detail, but I mean the the feeling of what it was like in those lifetimes and what Jesus and Buddha were going through, uh, what they were learning. And we can learn a great deal uh, from what they learned. And I think that that's one of the reasons that and Persa wanted to do this. They want to help people stay focused uh, on the path, uh, focused on this different kind of forgiveness that doesn't make it real. And uh, the reason that's so important is because uh, if you think that they really did it, then your unconscious mind is going to interpret that to mean that you really did everything that you think that you ever did. So you can't get around the fact that if they're guilty, you're guilty. And that's the way that your unconscious mind will interpret it. Uh, The Course articulates a very important law of the mind. It says, as you see him, you will see yourself. And uh, it must be pretty important because then it says, uh, never forget this. You know, in that person, you will either find yourself or lose yourself. So, uh, the way that you're seeing other people will determine ultimately even what you believe your identity uh, to be, because that's the way that your unconscious mind is going to interpret it, because your unconscious mind knows that there's really just one of us. It knows everything. So, it's very important the way that you think about others. You know, once you understand that, I would think that you would get uh, pretty damn careful about the way that you think about other people. Uh, the Course says, you know, choose once again what you would have him be, knowing that every choice you make will establish your own identity as you will see it and believe that it is. So uh, that's so essential, but it has to apply to everybody. Everybody has to be innocent. You have to think the way that Jesus and the Holy Spirit thought, and what they do is they overlook people's errors. They don't make them real. They overlook the illusion, they overlook the dream, and they think in terms of reality. They think in terms of constancy, which means that that person that you're seeing, uh, whether they're sick and you're trying to heal them of their sickness, you don't uh, dwell on their sickness. You overlook the body, you overlook the sickness, and you think of them as being what they really are and where they really are. And by that, you're sending a message both to their mind and to your mind, which is really one, that what they really are is not this body, not this illness, not this craziness that they are engaging in. Even if they're shooting 50 people, uh, what they really are is a glorious creation of God. And the reason it's so important that you see them that way is because that is how you will see yourself. And at the same time, when you get to the point where Jesus was, where your uh, mind has been completely healed, then you'll be so good at joining with their mind that they'll get the message. It may not seem like they're getting the message from you at first, but you can't help but be an influence on them simply because uh, the Course says that the very presence of a teacher of God acts as a reminder. You kind of like reminding them what they really are and where they really are, and the message is getting to them in their mind. And it's just a matter of time before everybody experiences that. Uh, It's a done deal. The Holy Spirit has a plan that will eventually result in everyone awakening uh, in God. And it may be frustrating to us sometimes because we can't really see the whole plan. We just Mm -hmm. see a little part of it. And the Holy Spirit can see all of it. But after a while, because your experience is changing so much and you are becoming peaceful and uh, happier, then you start to live uh, what the Course calls a happy dream. And that happy dream is something that tells you that you are well on your way to enlightenment. And that's a great experience. It's a great feeling. And then on occasion, you will have an actual experience of your perfect oneness uh, with God. Uh, the Gnostics called it Gnosis. Uh Course in Miracles would call it knowledge. Uh, it means the same thing. That's right. the experience right. where you have... Uh, an actual connection, that perfect oneness with God, and when that happens, it'll be very brief at first, but the the body will seem to disappear, and the world will seem to disappear, and what is left is this glorious abstraction that cannot be put into words, but it blows away anything that this world has to offer. Uh, There is nothing in this world, even great sex, is not comparable To this incredible experience of your perfect oneness with god and uh once you have that experience there's no going back because you realize that that has to be reality because it is so much more real than this is and uh this becomes kind of like uh what the course calls the ego's meager offering and it says how can the ego's meager offering compare to the glorious gift of god
0: and there's no comparison I I love that, Gary. You've made this the easiest podcast I've ever had to do, <laughs> which I am thankful for. It's it's so interesting to me, though, that literally every question I had prepared for you, you answered without me having to ask. Um, so thank you for that. Um, just well, I'll make- try credit- to. I'll credit the Holy Spirit with that one. I love it. I absolutely love it. One thing I do want to add, because we're just about out of time, is that I know we talked about some things that, um, you know, might sound a little questionable or interesting to uh, listeners. um, But anyone who listens to my show knows that um, I appreciate and always encourage a healthy skeptic or I I like skeptic versus cynical, skeptic attitude. But I use the word healthy. I'm sure to use that because, you know, there is a healthy skepticism versus just a jadedness or a cynicism that keeps us closed minded. And I'm one personally where typically any talk of channeled materials or people appearing or anything of that nature uh, really doesn't resonate with me. And and no offense to anyone that it does. I'm not saying I'm right and you're wrong. It's just my personal experience uh, in this body. but. What I love about your work and the course is that um, you know, just like you, I picked up the course. It was like reading another language. I then uh was led to Kenneth Wapnick's work, who was the premier teacher, and I know that you uh, you know, you attribute much of your your work and lessons to him as well as Art and Impersa. And then from there I found DU and uh that's what really started to make sense of the course and I was able to then go back to Kenneth's work and Back to the course, which, as you mentioned, is a a book written by, as you call J in your books, short for Jesus, um, as written, um, you know, through uh, Helen Schuckman. But I, I'll tell you, um, and just again for listeners' benefit, I all of your work, your four books, as well as Kenneth's work, as well as the course, and there are other good teachers out there. Uh, a lot of them, as you mentioned, I I can't. I don't resonate with, it's a very watered down um, version of what the course says or misinterpretation. But uh, I appreciate that. And just wanted to be clear that again, while we talked about some interesting things here, um, you know, I give it for whatever it's worth to my listeners, a 110% stamp of approval because um, it's, it's, it's no BS. And I appreciate in all of your books, whether it's you or Artin or Persa talking, you know, you, you do speak out, not out, but, address things like spiritual bypassing and spiritual materialism and um which does surprise me to be honest that hayhouse has put all of your books out because i'm not naming names but hayhouse has published a lot of the material that when i'm reading it in your books i think of some of their authors and others from other publishers as well um but credit to them and credit to you and art and persa for you know keeping it real and sharing the truth as it needs to be shared so well uh thank you
1: Chris and uh I know we're over time, but I would like to just say one thing about yes. skeptics yes please uh because I didn't always think this way <laughs> you know I didn't always uh you know have the exact same beliefs that I've learned yeah uh and I remember when I was oh just about thirty years old, when I was doing this s seminar, and there were four of us. they broke us down into small sharing groups, and I was sitting across from this uh very accomplished woman who happened to be a professor at Harvard. Right. And I was very impressed and intimidated by her. And uh, then all of a sudden she starts talking about this uh, being that is uh, thousands of years old who is speaking through this woman named Jane Roberts. Yep. And the being's name was Seth. Yeah, And she starts talking about how this ancient being is, is talking through this woman. And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, does she really believe that? Right. You know, does she really believe that that could happen? I mean, that's how new I was, and right. how skeptical I was. I was incredulous. I, right. I thought, she's got to be kidding, right? So uh, now here I am, you know, all these years later telling people that these two beings appeared to me on my living room couch. And I know that there's somebody out there who is thinking, does he really believe that? Right. <laughs> does he really think that that could happen? You know, so uh, I'm totally on the same page with skeptics because I used to be one. Right. I understand that. But at the same time, uh, you change as you go. And people uh, learn and they grow. And then they realize that what Shakespeare said was true, that there are more things in heaven
0: and earth than I dreamt of in their philosophy. Yeah. So beautifully said. And just to end note, I never imagined I would be reading books such as yours or the course when I was younger. And here I am, and uh, I can't get enough of it. So uh, with that, Gary, I thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for giving us that wonderful overview of the course, of art and Persa, of your previous books, as well as your new one, which uh, I can't recommend enough. Again, it's called The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other, A History of Mighty Companions. It The storytelling, as Gary mentioned, is absolutely fantastic looking at Jesus and Buddha's uh, incarnations prior uh starting with Lao Tzu and as you mentioned with Plato and uh in the Hindu tradition and so incredible. Um so it's it's been out for a minute now but I recommend uh if you have not checked it out it's uh it's a wonderful read, very quick read and I appreciate Gary your humor that you always bring to it. You make it a very enjoyable read. And uh yeah, with that said, any any final thoughts for our listeners? Um Mm. Well, uh, Chris, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing. Ah, oh, thank you. And, uh, and the Ram Dass
1: uh, network is really cool. And, and uh, you know, thank you for this opportunity. I am having uh, a great time. Yeah, yes. I really. Am. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you told me uh, 20 years ago what was going to happen with the book, I, I had a feeling that our in person weren't just talking to me; that they were talking to a bigger uh, audience. But I still didn't know uh, for sure. And if you told me what was going to happen. And that today I would be living here in Hollywood with this beautiful, uh, spiritually advanced woman, and that we would be having the time of our lives. Uh, I don't think I would have believed you. So uh, I just feel very, very grateful. And I want to thank everyone who's listening. And I want
0: to thank you for being such a good friend uh, over the years. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. And vice versa. And, you know, the one thing I did forget to ask, uh, first of all, for listeners, um i did forget to mention please just scroll down if you're on the be here now network we will have a link to all of gary's books which you can easily just click on it'll take you right there uh but gary your website uh is uh is it garyrenard.com or
1: yep it's uh garyrenard.com i thought of the name for the website myself (laughs) well done Uh, sir yeah and uh it has a lot of information all kinds of information including my schedule of where i'm speaking uh, yes. you know, so I, uh, I speak all over the world. I have cut down a little bit because I have, uh, some writing responsibilities that I really have to get on yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. I'm writing a book with Cindy that I think will be finished, uh, within just a couple of months oh, and, perfect. uh, that'll be out by the spring probably. And then I have the fifth book to do because first have told me that there will be a fifth book. Yep. And I'm also writing another project that I can't talk about, but it's looking very promising. And that's uh, the main reason that I'm here in Hollywood. So uh, we'll see what develops. But uh, I think there are a lot of fun and exciting things uh, coming up. And once again, uh, I'm just very
0: grateful. Wonderful. Well, Gary, thank you for your time and all that you do. It's appreciated. Thanks, Chris.